Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, Grace Live. So uh, thankful that you're joining us today. One thing we all know is that the New England Patriots will not win the Super Bowl this year. That is for sure. That's definitely not going to happen. So a number of weeks ago, uh, my family and my mother-in-law went out to eat with uh, Pandela. Pandela is our lighting director here up top up there. We went to the Cheesecake Factory. And as often is the case, when you get done with a big meal, we had leftovers. And so the person waiting on the table uh, brought us the little containers. Say, here you go. Here's uh, some containers. And Pandela needed an, uh, another container. And so she just simply said to the person, you know, waiting on the table, hey, uh, we need, you know, one more of these. And they looked a little confused. And so I just, I had one myself. So I said, you know, this, we need one of these. And uh, they said, okay. And they went, but still looked like they were confused. And they came back and they brought a, a knife and a fork. And Pandela's so nice. You know, she's like, oh, thank you so much. And she took it and didn't say a word to them. Now, my mother-in-law, uh, she's like, no. And, uh, you know, she shows again, you know, I, we need this. And they're like, oh, okay. And so they came back a few minutes later and they had a bag. And at this point, you know, Pandela again was very nice. She took it. She's very kind. But my mother-in-law, she's not, she's not going for it. You know, so she's like lifting this up. This right here, right? This is what we need. So eventually they brought us what we needed. But the point of all that whole story is, is we didn't need it. Knives and forks are great. And there's the times in your life when you need a knife and a fork. And there's a time in your life when you need a bag. But when you need the container, you need the container because that's what you need. Now, do you need Jesus? All right. I wasn't counting on that happening, but uh, I don't know who said that, but anyway. <laughs> All right. We can just end the sermon right here then. We don't need You'd be happy. It's all over. We don't need Jesus. <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, I'm going to read this passage from John 1 because we're just going to dig into the biography of Jesus as presented to us by John because John is trying to help us identify exactly who Jesus Christ is. Because what his premise here is, is if Jesus Christ isn't radically relevant to your life, then there's a radical misunderstanding of who Jesus is. Like if you don't see how Jesus Christ makes sense of every part of your life and isn't woven into every uh, kind of moment of your life and what you value and what you do, then what John is suggesting that there's a radical misunderstanding of who Jesus Christ is. And so he gives us this picture. This is why we're calling it Vision you know, 2020. And it's like John is taking us up on this mountaintop and he's helping us to see, okay, wait a minute. Let me, let me give you some clarity, some identity. That's why there's all these, what is known as I am statements. It's like Jesus is identifying himself. John's helping us to identify exactly who Jesus is. And the question is, is are you telling yourself the same story about Jesus that John is telling us? Because there's some, there's some really important things here. So I'm going to read this John chapter 1, starting in verse number 19. Uh, this is a lot about John the Baptist right here because there's so much um, in the Bible that before the Messiah comes, before this king of king comes, that there will be this forerunner, so to speak. There'll be this person, a front person, and there'll be like an Elijah type figure. And that's who John the Baptist is. This is now this was John's testimony, John the Baptist. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him then, 
Who are you? I'm going to come back to this in a minute because you got to ask yourself, I mean, do we run around today asking, are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah? I mean, what's up with this? I mean, why has a delegation been sent out to ask, are you the Messiah? What, what gives with that? And there's a reason why, and we're going to come back to it. Then they asked him, verse 21, now, who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And finally they said, who are you? That's actually a really good question. Who are you? Because whatever your identity is, whatever story you're telling about yourself is going to shape your 2020. Your 2020 is going to be shaped whatever story you're telling yourself. That's how important identity is. Whatever this story is you're telling yourself about yourself is going to totally shape the way your life rolls in 2020. So they said, give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John replied in the words of Isaiah, the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness, make straight the way for the Lord. This whole Messiah theme in chapter one just keeps coming up over and over. The first 18 verses of John chapter one are a prologue. It kind of sets up the whole book. It's an overview of the whole book. And then verse 19, all the way to the end of the chapter, this Messiah theme just keeps coming back over and over and over again. Are you the Messiah? They says in 141, we found the Messiah. So what gives, you know, what is this Messiah thing that's going on? A Messiah was totally expected. They were expecting a Messiah to come because a Messiah is what they needed. They definitely needed a Messiah because of what they were going through. Our Messiahs in our life, we, we all have Messiahs. We all have something, in other words, that we lift up. Something that we're like, yes, that's, that's worthy of my time, my energy, my attention. I lift it up. You know, whether it's a rock star, a movie star, or a political figure, it doesn't matter what it is. There's something in our life we tend to be, we all know this as human beings, we tend to worship something. You might not call it worship, whatever you might call it. It's that we lift something up and whatever it is, we gravitate towards that thing and we imitate that thing. So here Jesus is as presented to us as the Messiah. Now, if he is our Messiah and we do understand his story, we will gravitate towards Jesus and we'll begin to imitate Jesus if he's truly the Messiah. And John is saying, I want to help you totally understand in crystal clear clarity here, what is the story about Jesus? What is identity? So you can get it right. So you can make sure that it jives with who Jesus Christ is, because we're going to gravitate and imitate whatever we lift up. And the question is, what are you lifting up? Whatever you're lifting up is going to shape your story and your story is going to shape your 2020 uh, for sure. Are you telling yourself the same story that Jesus is being told of us about Jesus in here in the gospel of John? Now, what is really clear, again, radically relevant. So what John says is Jesus is air, bread, and water, air, bread, and water. There are things in our lives that are wants. There are things in our lives that are needs. And there are things in our lives that are total necessities, right? So for you guys who are iPhone, I have an iPhone and many of us like Apple products and I got to get the next thing. I got to get the next laptop or the next, you know, computer and next iPhone. I just saw somebody, they showed me some pictures they took on that iPhone 11 pro phenomenal camera. My gosh, that was, that was really great. So, you know, I really want this. I really want this, but you know what, if it's between this and air, I don't even know what an iPhone is anymore, right? Because there are things that are wants, there are things that are needs, and there are things that are absolute necessities. And that's why Jesus described in this biography of John is air, bread, and water. It's like an absolute necessity. You cut my air off for like 15 seconds. We got a big problem. Now, the question is this, do, do you see Jesus Christ that way? Because well, again, what John is saying is unless Jesus is radically relevant, then there must be a radical misunderstanding of who Jesus is. And so this is what he's presenting to us about Jesus Christ. It's a guy named Tom Holland. He's not the guy in Spider, uh, somebody... 
sent me a text after the first service. Tom Holland, the Spider-Man movie. I don't, I don't, I don't follow Spider-Man, so I'm not sure who that Tom Holland is. I'm talking about Tom Holland, the writer. He's a historian. He's an award-winning author. I didn't watch enough Spider-Man, apparently. So uh, that's who I'm talking about. And Tom Holland uh, grew up going to church. And he was just radically bored by church. He said, this is a waste of my time. Uh, my parents are making him go to church. And he sang in the choir and he did all that. But he said, Jesus totally bored him. Didn't see the relevance of Jesus in his life. But who Tom Holland really worshipped, he wouldn't have called it worship, but who he lifted up, who he's excited about, were the Greeks and the Romans. Because they were really cool. And they had gladiators and they had Alexander the Great. And they did all these great things. And they had the Colosseum. And he was fascinated by that. And he grew up and he became a writer, became a historian. A writer, historian, wrote a lot about history. And and he really began to, you know, dig in and, and just was fascinated with the Greeks and the Romans. And then something happened to him along the way. He's like, well, wait a minute. Because once he began to find out more and more about the Greek and Romans, oh my gosh, the things they value are atrocities to me. Like, I can't stand the Greeks and Romans. He had a major problem. And the thing that he loved and the thing that he worshipped began to shape his life, right? And no business. And he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. He wanted everything to do with the Greeks and the Romans. And the more he finds out about the Greeks and Romans, he's really offended by it. He's like, I don't live by those standards. Y'all remember the movie Gladiator? I know I've... Krista tells me, you talk too much about the movie. Okay. So... 60 seconds. All right? It's a great movie. Uh, I love that scene, you know, down on the Colosseum floor when the, I can't remember the emperor's name, but he was the evil emperor, right? The evil emperor. And it's like, don't turn your back on me. And Russell Crowe, I can't remember his name either because it was like really long, right? It's like five words to it, you know, and he rips off and I'll get my vengeance. Because what had happened is Russell Crowe, this general says, I'm not going to team up with you. You're not the rightful emperor. You're a mean, evil, terrible person. And they try to kill him and he escapes, you know, but he's wounded and he gets back to his home where his wife and his son are and he gets there too late and um, they've been killed. And we're told on the Colosseum floor by the evil emperor that, you know, they did all kinds of terrible things to his wife and terrible things to his kids. And Russell Crowe is all about what? He's all about strength and honor, strength and honor. And we, we see that movie today and we're like, oh, yes. Strength and honor. I mean, that's, that's awesome. But here's the thing, everybody. In the, in those, in the day when, when, when that all happened was depicted, taking advantage of people who had less power than you, that's what was worshipped. So we view it today and we're like, oh, yes, that's terrible. But they wouldn't have viewed it that way. Do you understand that? They wouldn't have viewed it that way. They're like, of course. Zeus, one of the most famous gods, right? So his wife, Zeus's wife is pregnant and a prophecy is given that the child in your wife's womb is going to be a threat to you. So what does Zeus do? He swallows her whole. That's a way to get rid of your enemies. You swallow them whole. They're a threat to you. He seduces his sister. He seduces his mother. He abuses countless women. Because in those days, what was worshipped radically was whoever has more power can do whatever they want to the other person who has less power. That's what they do. And you get together in, in a coliseum and you just cheer as weak People, powerless people are ripped apart and you cheer. Those are the values. And Tom Holland says, oh my gosh, I'm worshiping these people. I have no time for Jesus Christ. But the values that I cherish dearly, deeply are not Greek and they're not Roman. They're actually from Jesus Christ. And so he writes this book. It's at the bottom of your bulletin. 
dominion. He's an atheist. Holland's an atheist. Yeah, he grew up in church. I don't want anything to do with church. I have no time. Jesus is relevant to my life. I don't need Jesus Christ. I walk away from that. He becomes an atheist, and then he does all this study, and he's like, oh, whoa, time out. Time the heck out. These people that I worship, I, I can't stand them. I'm offended by them. I don't live by that. I don't value that. I have no time for Jesus, but the very values of Jesus Christ, that's what I value, dear. That's what I live by. That's what I want in my own life. And so he writes this book, Dominion, how the Christian revolution has remade the world. And it totally changes life. So what is it that we need? We need a Messiah. We need every Messiah has a story. And they're telling us a story about themselves. And they're telling us a story, if they're our Messiah, that shapes our story. And this is what John is giving to us. There are so many messiahs and they're all imposters in this day. And why, why are there so many? Why did they go to John the Baptist and say, are you the messiah? Because there was all these imposters saying they were the messiah. And the reason they were doing it is because of all these prophecies. It was all these prophecies. So all the way back in the 6th century BC, Jerusalem, this great city was destroyed. Oh my gosh. And when, when, when there was a destruction, when one army just totally obliterates another people, it was brutal, everybody. I mean, brutal. It was traumatizing. This is what they did to the king. His name was Zedekiah. They pull him out. They line all of his sons up in front of him and they kill systematically each son. Boom, 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 boom. That's the last thing King Zedekiah gets to see. Then they poke his eyes out and they drag him off to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar, you know, just totally just it's, it's about humiliation. That's what they did to the king. Can you imagine what they did to everybody else? They led him in a train from Jerusalem to Babylon and they put a hook through every one of their cheeks and they tied the hooks to each other. And they just just it was total humiliation that and a million other things, which I won't tell you about because it just gets really gruesome. So here you have these group of people and they're hurting. What story do you think they're telling themselves about themselves? So you have a group of people. They wonder, has God forsaken them? Well, you know, it's a whole conglomeration of things. Life is, can be complex. Life is complicated. We make decisions. Other people make decisions or stuff just happens and we find ourselves in a disaster. Okay. We could say a lot of reasons of why Jerusalem gets to the place that they're in, a lot of unwise decisions, but whatever the case, now they're in exile, right? They're enslaved in Babylon. And here comes all these prophecies. Daniel prophesies in Daniel chapter two. We talked about it a few weeks ago, so I'll just say it briefly. He said a couple hundred years before Jesus Christ was born. And this is why you have all these messiahs is, you know what? Somebody's coming. The king, the king, God is going to come down and his kingdom's going to bring peace and joy to the earth. And he says, there are going to be four kingdoms. And during the fourth kingdom, a fifth kingdom is going to come. And it's going to start extremely small, but it's going to be of God. It's going to be like a tiny pebble. It's going to start so small, but it's going to grow and grow and grow until it covers the entire world. You're going to have the Babylonian kingdom. You're going to have the Persian kingdom. You're going to have the Greek kingdom. You're going to have the mighty Roman kingdom. And during the fourth kingdom, the Roman kingdom, God is going to show up. And it's going to start really, really small. But eventually it's going to cover the entire planet. Can you think of any... Messiah that actually fits that bill. And that's why there were so many messiahs and there was all these imposters. But here you have Jesus Christ born to a peasant couple. Nobody knows who they are and it grows and grows and grows. The mighty Roman empire turns its sights against the Christian movement. And yet somehow it rises up. 
And it was the Christian movement that shut down the Colosseum. And if you go to the Colosseum today, you'll find, of all things, where so many Christians were killed, you'll find a massive cross when you walk into there. Who would have ever thought that could possibly ever happen? That's Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 7, a couple hundred years at least before Jesus Christ was born, says this. I want to read it to you, then I want to explain it. I saw in the night visions. This is visions that Daniel is getting. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. I want to explain that too. And he came to the ancient of days and would present before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed so similar to daniel chapter 2 we see there is a king coming another king but this is interesting here everybody when you see son of man here's what's confused us because at the very end of john chapter 1 again it talks about a son of man when you're thinking son of man you're thinking a human being flip it when you see son of God in scripture, it's talking about a human leader who will have the throne of David. Son of God really means a human being will sit on. And when it says son of man, it actually is talking about a divine figure. I know it's strange, but this is where it comes from. A divine figure. God is going to come down in human form. It says the ancient of days, which means the father, father, God has the son of man. God is going to come in the form of a human being to earth. And so they were expecting a Messiah to come in a human form that was going to be God. Jesus Christ is extremely surprising, but he's not unexpected. If you want to read more about this, the other book at the bottom of your bulletin, we'll talk about it, the Jewish Gospels by Daniel Bayarin. But this is what they were expecting. Jesus Christ is amazingly surprising. And what we're going to see through this series is we're going to have all kinds of surprises for us about Jesus Christ. But Jesus was not unexpected at all. Jesus is a necessity, which means he's relevant to our lives. It's the new year and the new year. We think about usually we think about, I want to get out of debt and I want to lose weight. I want to get out of debt, lose weight. Now, listen, there's a lot of different plans and a lot of different things that you can do to get out of debt and lose weight. But every single one of those plans comes down to one basic truth. You want to get out of debt, spend less than you earn. There you go. You'll never get around that fact. Spend less than you earn and you'll get out of debt. Here's how you lose weight. Consume less than you burn. There you go. You don't need to go see anybody. Save your money. Because it's just basic. Right? There are some things about debt and about weight that it it has to be in the mix somewhere. And if you want to live a life to the full, because John says, I want to talk to you about how to really experience life. Like to the max. John 10, 10. I want to tell you how you can have an abundance of life. Then you're going to have to immerse yourself in the story of Jesus Christ and less in the story of imposters, which is exactly what Tom Holland was doing until he discovered the truth that his life was shaped by the very values of the, of the Messiah who he was rejecting and calling irrelevant to his life, that he worshiped the values that Jesus Christ has introduced to the world, not the Greeks and not the Romans. Thank God we don't live by those values anymore. Because Zeus so devalued Gladiator and what they did to his family, that was expected. That was expected. You think about in a world like that where they treated people like that, particularly treated females like that, it is no surprise that in Rome you would find dozens of baby girls, dozens, hundreds, thousands of baby girls laying by the side of the road because a family just tossed them out. Would you like to, how would you like to drive through Arlington County and find baby girls strewn all across the road? That's the way it was. And why wouldn't it be? Because Zeus is your Messiah. 
because these are the gods that you look up to. And so Holland realized there's a different way. I only have one fill in the blank today, and that is this. Immerse yourself in the story of Jesus. Is the story you're telling yourself about Jesus the same story that's being told to us by John in the Gospel of John? Okay, Atomic Habits by James Clear. I know it's the beginning of the year, and like some of us are like, yeah, talk about habits. And I was like, I don't want to talk about habits anymore. So I'm not going to talk about habits. I'm going to talk about something really important that precedes the habit that James Clear talks about. And later on in the year, we will talk about habits. How's that sound? I'm thinking about our Easter series. The series we begin on Easter called Your Slightly Improved Life. And at that time, we will talk about habits. Right now, I want to talk about something that precedes habits. Habits are really important. Habits are a picture of your, they're like a prophecy of your future. Whatever your habits are. I mean, you can have goals. We all set goals. Goals are great. But you know that every NFL team had the same goal this year? Right? So goals are great, but your life is going to fall to the level of your habits. That's what James Clear says. It's not your goal. Set goals all the time. Sure, they're great. They set a direction, but they're not going to get you to your goal. Your habits are what's going to get you to your goal. So what are your habits? But before you have habits, you have to have a story. And this is what Clear says. It says, every habit starts with a story. What story are you telling yourself? Research has been done about families. And families that share the story of like their origin and where they can, like they tell their kids, this is where your mom and I met. This is what we did. This is what's going on. Or this is where your grandparents met. And this is where they're from. And the blah, blah, blah. They moved here and there and they met here. That, that families that do that and actually tell the story, hopefully it's a decent story to tell, right? Okay. And if it is, the family, the kids tend to be happier and healthier. Isn't that amazing? Because they want to know where they got. Now, I got to see this. When I read this research recently, I had immediately had a flashback. We got together with a, a couple here that have a bunch of kids uh, here at Grace. And we're sitting around eating dinner with them. And all of a sudden, the kids said, Mom and Dad, tell John and Krista your story. Tell them where you met. And so, okay. And the kids were all excited. And so the parents started telling the story and then the kids totally cut them off and they started telling the story for them because they were so excited. Something about this, a child happier and healthier if they know their origin, if they know their story. It's, it's, it's really important. We see that. We've tried to tell our kids, you know, our story. And they know all the goofy pieces to it. Krista and I met in church. Today's Krista's birthday, by the way. Krista and I met. Yep. Oh, she got a little clap. That's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, met in church. We've pretty much known each other our entire lives. She asked me out on our first date when I was 12 years old to uh, go get a Christmas tree with uh, her dad, who many of you know is Big Russ, who's passed away now. Uh, went and found a tree. We played basketball. It was an awesome day for me because we got to play basketball. Uh, and then after that, she didn't want anything to do with me, right? <laughs> Nothing to do with me because I was too short. And she realized that, you know, 13, 14, I grew no, I mean, I was like this tall and I didn't grow. Okay. And she grew and she was taller than me. And so there you go. There you go. It's very, very, it's very, very painful. I asked her out to the prom and she said, no. Right. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, painful. Uh, but anyway, uh, eventually I grew. I grew and uh, she was willing. And what we did in our church, you know, growing up is we did youth roller skating. I don't know if any of you grew up in church and did this youth. It was a big thing churches did, roller skating. And they always had the 
couple skate. And I asked her on the couple skate and I was a little bit taller than her and she said yes. And then the thing that always makes me cringe, which the kids know, is on the ride home and the church van, I went up like I was stretching and I put my arm around her. And I know it makes me, I, I hate to even tell you that because I just, something inside me crawls, but the kids love to hear it and she loves to make fun of me. But these are the stories. And something about hearing those stories bring our families that that we want to hear that we want to know. We want to know our story. What is your story? Like, what is the difference between the story you're telling yourself about your origins? So the story that's being told here is that God really loves you. And there wasn't a battle in the heavens and you weren't created out of like there are all these creation myths. You weren't created out of vomit or blood and guts, but God created you because he loved you and he wanted to walk with you and he doesn't want to enslave you. He actually wants to walk side by side with you. And he actually, God wants to serve you. Jesus comes down as a servant. Oh my gosh, this is so radically different. What story are you telling yourself? And that because of this story, You have a mission and a purpose. And because of this story, you have tremendous value. This is what you'll learn in this story. This is what is being told. Are you telling yourself that story? So what James Clear says is this. Before you get to habits, you're not going to make it. Like, I keep trying to do the right thing, but I can't. Before you even get to habits, what story are you telling yourself? And you have to make sure you're telling yourself the right story. And he says this, you have to tell it with great repetition, like over and over and over. Now, Romans chapter 7. It's a really cool chapter, second half of Romans 7. I, if you've never read it, please read it. It's an ama- The Apostle Paul, famous guy, famous guy, known around. I mean, you think about if people are studying in great detail your writings 2,000 years from now, then you're pretty cool. And there's millions of people all around the world that get together and study what the Apostle Paul has written 2,000 years later. So (laughs) he was fairly successful. Uh, So you got this guy, and he says in Romans 7, he says, there's this whole list of things, habits. There's a whole list of things that I want to do. I don't do them. There's a whole list of things that I don't want to do. I do them all the time. I'm like, this is great. How does this guy know who I am? (laughs) It's amazing. You've got to read this. But here's the fast, and it, all this comes together in my mind as I'm reading about atomic habits and I'm reading about stories. He's talking about all these habits. I want to stop doing it. I just can't stop doing them. All these things that I want to do and I just don't do them enough. What is wrong? Then he gets to the end of the chapter and he says, thanks be to God for Jesus Christ that I'm in Christ. What is he saying? And it didn't hit me till now. He has a new story. And the story is Christ. Because whatever we lift up as our Messiah, we will gravitate and we will imitate. Are you thinking about this? What story are you telling yourself about Jesus? Is it relevant? Do you tell yourself that story all the time? Are you reminded? Do you see it woven into your life of your mission and your value and how much you're loved and all of that stuff and who Jesus Christ really is? Because what Paul says is once you see that, And James Clear says, all the research tells us, once you know that story, then your habits will really begin to change because your habits are shaped first by your story. What story are you telling yourself? Our new life begins with a new story. In this series, we're going to talk about some stuff that's in John. I mean, there's all these famous stories about Jesus Christ. John chapter 2, he changes the water into wine. Right? Or if you're Baptist, he changes the water into Welch's grape juice. <laughs> What's that story really about? 
We have the longest conversation that Jesus Christ, the longest recorded conversation that Jesus Christ has with anybody in John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. What is that story really about? Do you know? Do you understand it in its first century Jewish context? I never did. And because I never did, I didn't have a clear picture of Jesus. But I'm starting to now. I'm starting to now. I've done so much reading. Rabbis, first century context, what's going on? And now things are getting clear. John is taking us up on top of a mountain and he's helping us have a crystal clear picture of exactly who Jesus Christ is. We're told in John 2020, and it? so it's year 2020. What does John 2020 say? It says, when the disciples saw Jesus Christ, they were overjoyed. The change in behavior begins with a change in our identity. Do you know how Arlington County got its name? Yeah, this county got its name. So this county, smallest county in America, the most densely populated county in America, it was called Alexandria County until 1920. And at the end of World War I, they wanted to have a major celebration. So they had planes take off right down the street here from Fort Myers. They had planes take off and they have a military flyover. It was a huge party. It was a huge parade right here in this county, Alexandria County. And they told the pilots fly over top of Alexandria County. And where did they fly? Alexandria City. They totally missed the parade because of a misidentification. No party, no parade. The big wigs in this county went nuts. They said, that's it. We're changing it to Arlington County. And that is how this county got its name in 1920 because of a misunderstanding. If you don't totally understand Jesus, what John is saying, you're going to miss out on the party. You're going to miss out on real life. Are you sure? That you're telling yourself the same story about Jesus that John is telling. Because John says, once you have that understanding of who Christ is, then you're going to have life and joy. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw Jesus Christ. And this is what he is presenting for us here. James Clear says in Atomic Habits, you've got to keep telling that story over and over and over again. There's 168 hours in a week. Every single week for one hour, every single week for one hour, we're going to focus on who Jesus Christ is. Can you give one of your 168 to immersing yourself in the story of Jesus? Because whatever your story is, it's going to shape your 2020. There's 8,760 hours in a year. Can you give 52 of the 8,760 hours a year to immersing yourself in the story of Christ? Because whatever the story is, it's going to shape your habits. And your habits are a prophecy of your future. Immerse yourself in the story of Jesus Christ. Next week, we're going to continue talking about this. And I said earlier, Jesus is very surprising. You're going to be very surprised uh, next week. There are things going to surprise you all along the way. They've surprised me a lot. But not Jesus, Jesus was not unexpected, but he was very surprising. Now, I want to end this way. I want to ask the music team to come out. I think they're going to come out and help me because I want to, I want to conclude with the song. Uh, it's a song actually we've, we have already sung. Okay? Uh, and the song is really obnoxious. Uh, it was a third song that we sang today, and I've sat here so many times, and we've sung the song. It's like, man, this is such an arrogant, obnoxious song. I'm not sure if everybody understands it. I understand it, but I'm thinking about the person who comes in and doesn't understand the historical context in which the song was, which the song, uh, what scripture the song actually springs from. It was the song they're getting ready to sing was not written thousands of years ago. It was written in the last decade, but it comes from a text that was written thousands of years ago, okay? 
Okay. And so I sit here and I think, oh my gosh. And I, why do they sing this song? I don't know, but uh, they sung it today because I asked them to sing it. And so I'm going to finally do something I've wanted to do for five years. I'd like to explain something to you. So the words are, our God is greater, right? Our God is higher. He's mightier than any other, right? And you know what that makes it seem like if you're sitting here in the year 2020? It's like, oh, okay. You guys just think your God's better. So all the other gods aren't as good as your God. Our God's better than your God. And for some of you in the room, like, I don't see a problem with that. And for other people in the room, like, Ah, that's not good. I don't like, what is this weird? That's ridiculous. So really where the song is coming from is from a scripture that was written thousands of years ago. So if we could like transport ourselves back to the time when actually the scripture was written, can I give you context of this song before we sing it and we all throw up? Okay. The song was written during a time that the gods were demanding uh, all kinds of human sacrifices. So literally what was happening in those days, if you had a child, like the authorities of your village or your town or your city could come and grab that child from you and saying, we're sacrificing your child today. And there's not a thing you can do about it. Or we're going to take your children today and we're going to take them to the temple and we're going to turn them into ritual sexual prostitution. And there's not a thing you can do about it. Because we're here to serve the gods, and the gods, um, we're slaves to them, and they're just going to humiliate us. So it was, can you imagine living like that? Would you like to live like that? So along comes God, who says every single person is created in his image. It's where we get the idea of universal human rights. Every single person is created in the image of God. Every person should be respected. Every person should be loved. And in the midst of that, we have this song. Now, it makes sense to sing our God is greater if you're comparing in context that God against the other gods. Who doesn't want to live with a God that brings peace and love and respect and honor as opposed to gods who are introducing to us total humiliation? Can you just think about that? As we sing this song, I'm going to pray and we're all going to stand and sing. God, thank you for the story that we have of Jesus Christ. Help us to thoroughly understand this story so that our story would shape our 2020. Let us immerse ourselves in the truth as presented to us here in this biography by John. In Christ's name, amen.